you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring you a Bible. Sorry. I sometimes forget. Um, If your family is anything like my family, at some point you might have gone to the Puyallup Fair. And we braved that adventure last Friday. And I remember we, we went to the fair and we went on a particular ride. And I remember seeing some of my kids get on a ride. And I remember looking at the ride and then looking at the ride operator and then looking at the ride again and then looking at the ride operator again. And I remember wondering and questioning, how can I be certain that this ride is safe, right? I'm guessing you've had this same thought from time to time. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was, you know, looking at all these rides and there's some new rides. I'm pretty sure that most of these rides, or let me, I'm more confident than that. I'm pretty sure that no ride was like invented and built and designed from like a PhD from MIT. So I'm staring at all of them and you hear the screams and you're just wondering, or at least I'm wondering, how can I be certain that any of these rides are safe? Now, my kids survived, but it begs the question. We have this question that just kind of sticks in our minds all throughout the week, all throughout the day. It's the question of certainty. We ask things like, how can I be certain that the woman or the man or the the person I love and I want to marry is going to be faithful to me when we get married? How do I know for certain that that will be my reality? Or we wonder, how am I going to be certain that all the thousands of dollars that I'm going to invest in this college degree will end with a good, high-paying job at the end? Or maybe you're new to this church and you're just kind of thinking through joining this church and you're wondering, with certainty, how do I know that this church isn't like the, the churches with all the bad publicity? Underneath all these questions of certainty that we kind of have to live in the tension of every single week, I think there's an even more fundamental question. And in many ways, it's the question of certainty related to God. I remember my daughter was a few years old, uh, and we had just, uh, with the help of some other friends, we were planting a church. And we were planting a church you know, a two-year-old, and we had just bought a house, and so we had a mortgage, and the church could not, we were church planning, could not sustain my salary, and so I had to fundraise all of my salary. And so it was clear that God wanted me to do this, that God was calling our family into this, but then like a year into this adventure, the money had dried up. And I remember thinking, I got to put food on the table. I got to pay a mortgage. I remember driving to the office, just wondering and crying out. Or actually, I just remember crying. (laughs) But in the back of my mind, and if you've ever been in these situations, you know what it's like. In the back of your mind, you're wondering, you're asking, God, how can I with certainty know that you're going to show up for me right now? This morning, it's all about that question. This morning is all about finding certainty in uncertain times. So go with me to Genesis chapter 15. As we find Abram 
who finds certainty in a really simple place, but it might this morning be an unlikely place for you this morning. The big idea, which is, shall be behind me, is just simply this. I try to give you a big idea, kind of what the text is driving at, the argument of the text. This is my best way of capturing it. Even though much of life is uncertain, there is something of which you can be certain of. Let's read the text. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will not be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a, smoke, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The Lord's word to us this morning. So Genesis 5 is actually nicely for us broken up into two sections, two sort of movements. We see verses 1 to 6, and then verses 7 through verse 21. In each of these movements, from verse 1 to 6 and then 7 to 21, there are three movements in each of those texts. So God gives a promise. Abram responds to that promise with apprehension. And then God reassures Abram in light of his apprehensions. And then that whole pattern repeats over again. So promise, apprehension, reassurance, rinse, and repeat. So go with me to verse 1. God speaks. The, the, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision, and God says, 
Don't be afraid. Don't fear. I'm your shield. God says, I'm, I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to reward you. And if you're wondering, well, what is this protection? What is this reward attached to? Just keep reading. It's clear what this reward is and what this protection has to, to do with. It has to do with an heir. It has to do with the promise already given in chapter 12 that Abram is going to have an heir, a son, a child born from him to carry on the family heritage. Well, Abram responds, that's the promise. Abram responds, verse 2, with apprehension. He responds to God and points out, "Uh, it's been a minute since chapter 12, and I still don't have a child. And he's looking around at his house, and he's like, "The, the guy who's next in line is a guy from Damascus. Now, I think it's clear, especially if you look at verse 6, that Abram is not angry. This is not like arrogance. Abram's confused. There's a vast difference from praying to God, talking with God out of ignorance, and talking to God out of arrogance. Here, Abram is talking to God in ignorance. He just is confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's praying because he's confused. I mean, all of us wonder from time to time, what is God doing in our world or what is God doing in our lives? We ask that question all the time. It's the prayer of confusion. God, why did I get in that car accident? It just really spoiled the day. Lord, why did I not get the job and this other coworker who I think I'm more qualified for get the job? Lord, what are you doing in all of this? We ask those prayers all the time. And if you read the Psalms, if you spend any time in the Psalms, you know that is one of the most often prayers of the psalmist is they pray their confusion. They pray their feelings related to their ignorance. And there's nothing wrong with that. In many ways, our prayers of confusion, when we're just wondering, God, what are you doing? They are holy prayers. What Abram is doing is an act of faith. He is taking his feelings in light of his confusion and taking them up to God. That's what we ought to do. Much better than stewing on them. Abram takes his confusion, he takes his feelings, and he takes them to God. Well, he's confused, he's apprehensive, but then God responds graciously and reassures Abram that he is going to come through on this promise related to an heir. And so once more, God says, I'm going to give you an object lesson. If you remember from chapter uh, 13, he says, I want you to look down and take some dust and see if you can count them. And that's, every time you look at the dust, you're going to remember that I'm going to fulfill my promise. Well, now he says, look at the stars. So it's as if God is saying, whether you look down or whether you look up, either way, they're both going to be object lessons or reminders that God is going to fulfill his promise. And so God takes him out, and there's something magical about, you know, a dark night when you can just see the stars. And God says, count them. Maybe, parents, you've done this with your children. Count them, right? And every child can't count the stars. And that really is the point that God is driving at with Abram, isn't it? As uncountable as these stars are, His offspring shall be that uncountable.
God is reassuring Abram that he will fulfill his promise. But I just want to point out, notice what God does not do that we would like him to do. God says, I'm going to do it. Look at the stars. As the stars exist, so I will fulfill this promise. But he doesn't come to Abram and go, I'm going to do it, and you just got to wait two weeks. I got you. Just two weeks. He doesn't say, wait a month or wait a year. He's, he, he's going to give a timetable in a moment in this next scene. But here, he just says, I'm going to do it. I promise to do it with no guarantee, no time frame, not even really a game plan. Abram was a man for a long time that had these promises, and yet he still had not received any of these promises. No timetable. He's lacking certainty. And in many ways, if you just think of Abram's life, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to preach through Abram's life, Abram's life is simply this. Abram's hanging out in Iraq, and God comes to him and says, I want you to leave everything and go. And Abram's like, where? And he's like, I'll tell you later. Just trust me. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to give you this land. And Abram's like, what land? And he's like, just, I'll tell you later. Just trust me. And he's like, I'm going to give you an offspring. And he's like, how? And God's like, I'll tell you later. Just trust me. And then God's like, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And he's like, "Uh, they don't really like me. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You'll figure it out later. Just trust me. That's the story of Abram in a nutshell. And actually, if you keep going, when you come to Isaac, the whole thing is going to play out again, isn't it? And in many ways, is this not our story? Does God not come to us and say, follow me? And we say, where? Where am I going to go? And he's like, I'll tell you later. Just trust me. God says, hey, hey, I I want you to do this. And you're like, ah, this doesn't look like a great idea. And God says, just trust me. God says, I'm going to be with you. And you're like, it doesn't feel like you're with me right now. And God says, oh, I am. You just got to trust me. God says, I'm going to bless you. And you're like, this does not feel like blessing. And God says, you just got to trust me. Abram's life is our life. We all have struggles with uncertainty And God, just like God did for Abram, God comes to us and says, you're just going to have to trust me. And that's what we see in verse 6, isn't it? This really is, in one sense, shocking. With sort of no timetable. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and God counted it to Abram as righteousness. Abram here isn't described as doing good. He he doesn't become righteous because of some act of, like some great moral act, right? that's, That's true of many religions, but that's not true of Christianity. The text here says that Abram became righteous not because of acts of love or his great sacrifices of duty. God counted or God credited or God views Abram as righteous because he believed God. Now, if, if you're sort of unsure about Christianity, if you're like, ah, I don't really know about this Jesus guy, really what I'm about to share in the next like two minutes is the most important thing that I want you to hear in all of this service. This text, chapter 15, 
And that verse is a monumental verse. It is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament in some sense. It comes up and is quoted all over the place in the New Testament because of its importance, because it is in some ways paradigmatic of what it means to be a Christian. Paul actually grabs this very text in Romans. And in chapter 3, this is what Paul writes. Abram believed and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was, here's the quote, counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his own sake, but for our sake also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trans, uh, trans uh, aggressions and raised for our justification. See what Paul is saying? What, what, what God does for Abram in counting Abram righteous in Christ Jesus, God does for us. Abram's faith in God's promise of an offspring is related to our faith in God's ultimate offspring, Jesus Christ. This really is what separates Christianity from all other religions. All other religions say, you got to work your way up to God. you you got to pull yourselves up by some moral acts. And only Christianity says, no, you can't do that. Your righteousness doesn't come from yourself. Your righteousness actually comes from an alien righteousness. It comes from God. God credits it to you. And all you have to do is believe. That's what separates Christianity from the rest. Belief that Jesus is who he says he is, that he really did die for sins, rose again, and when you put your trust and faith in that, you are credited as righteous. You have a right standing with God. You are justified, forgiven, and pardoned. In shorthand, we say this is the gospel. And if you want more information about that, or if you're curious about that, or if you have questions about that, grab me at the end of the service. I would love to talk more about it. Abram here believes God, and as a result of that belief, he is made righteous with God. And that's how this movement ends. There really is two movements here. And we see that movement one ends on this sort of high note of Abram. But I wonder this morning if you're like, well, Abram's hard to relate to. Because, yes, I want to be, I want this sort of righteousness, but what if I fail? Like, what if my faith isn't strong enough? What if my faith isn't enough? What if I'm struggling with doubts? What then? Maybe it's God strong, but maybe I'm feeling weak. And that really is why the second movement is so precious, or ought to be so precious with us. Same formula, only a little bit of a twist at the end. Promise, apprehension, and then reassurance. So the word of the Lord comes to Abram a second time. These are two scenes because if you look, uh, it says nighttime in the first scene, and then if you look down in verse 17, it's like dawn. So it looks like these are two different occasions going on. And so God speaks, and God says, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give you a land. And then Abram responds with apprehension, doesn't he? Verse 
verse uh, 12, verse 7 and 8. He says, oh, oh Lord God, how am I to know? Right? That's the question he's asking. He's asking the question of certainty. He, he's looking at God, and in his ignorance and in his confusion, he's saying, God, how can I have certainty that you're going to deliver on your promise of a land? And then starting in verse 12, God answers the question of certainty. Now, starting in verse 12, actually starting up in uh, verse 9, it gets kind of weird. God's like, uh, go get some animals, uh, go to the Piaup Fair, grab some goats and some sheep and some pigeons and some other animals, and I want you to bring them here. And you're like, I don't know what's going on here. This is really, really weird. Like, if I ever asked any of you to do that, I would hope that you'd say no. So what in the world's going on here? Well, it's weird to us, but it wouldn't have been weird to Abram. Actually, after God says, I want you to do this, Abram doesn't even need more directions. He knows exactly what's going on here. Abram takes these animals, he cuts them in half, and he lays them on the ground. One half on this side, the other on the other side. And what's going on is that it's evident to Abram that, that there's a contract that's happening or another word for a contract is a covenant. That God and Abram are about to enter into a covenant or a contract. And every covenant or every contract has stipulations that if you break the contract, this is what is going to happen. So you have released an apartment. You have to sign like 30 papers, 30 pages of paper. And at the end, it basically is saying, if you break the lease, these are the stipulations, the consequences for breaking the contract. Marriages work like this. Mortgages work like this. We have contracts today, and every contract lays out, you're going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to loan you $300,000, the mortgage company says, you're going to pay it back every month at this rate, and if you break it, I'm going to bankrupt you, or whatever. Contracts have, you're going to do this, I'm going to do this, and here are the stipulations if you break these contracts or this covenant. And that's what's going on here, right? In Abram's day, they, they didn't have like a piece of paper. So it's like, okay, here's the contract that you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then what you do is you take animals, you cut them in half, and you would walk through the animals as it were suggesting the stipulations for breaking this contract, which would be death, right? It's a sort of a graphic illustration of what would happen if you broke the contract, which is may I be dismembered? May I be killed? May I be pulled apart? That's the sort of stipulation of contracts in Abram's day, and that's what Abram assumes is going on. He's entering into a covenant with God, a contract, and so he gets all of these stipulations ready because he assumes God's about to make a covenant with him. So the sun goes down. Abram kind of goes into a trance. I don't think he is asleep. I think this is like dreamlike. He's alert. Darkness falls, and Abram is terrified. And if you've ever been in pitch darkness, it is terrifying because you feel vulnerable. It feels unsafe. You feel small. And Abram is feeling all of those feelings. And it becomes clear even more so why this scene is so terrifying because someone shows up starting in verse 13. God shows up. God speaks and says, Abram, and then here's the phrase, know for certain. 
God here is answering the question of certainty. And now for, for sort of the first time, God gives Abram a time frame, a time table, a game plan, a sort of prophetic vision into the future. But if you remember when I was reading it, it's not a great prophetic vision. God says, I'm going to give you land and offspring, but uh, it's going to be a minute. It's going to be a lot of minutes. It's going to be about 400 years until you get the land. And sorry about the bad news, but you're going to have to hang out in a foreign land as slaves for a little bit. And uh, uh, you're like, I'm going to inherit this land. And Abram, actually, in your lifetime, you're only going to have one plot of land. And it's not the promised land. It's not Palestine. You're going to have a burial plot. You'll die in peace. But the only land that you'll actually own, the only deed that you'll own in your lifetime is a burial plot. That's God's prophetic vision to Abram. Sometimes we're like, I wish I had Abram's life. Yikes. Abram's going to do a lot of crazy things in his life. Here's a moment of uncertainty in Abram's life. And then look what happens next. God sort of stops speaking, and in a moment, in pitch darkness, pitch blackness, a flame appears, a light appears. And in the Bible, shorthand, when you see this, just know that this is what people call a theophany. It's an appearance of God. So, same word for uh, Mount Sinai when God appears to Moses. Same word for the pillar of fire when God is guiding the people in the wilderness. Actually, same appearance in Pentecost when flame comes down and people begin to speak uh, in different languages. Same word. All these are theophanies, appearances of God. So God appears by way of a fire and God walks through the dead animals himself, which is shocking. Because who is the liability between God and Abram? Who is more the liability? Who has more of a, uh, a sort of a, more of an opportunity to fail the covenant or more of a weakness with regard to this covenant? And the answer is obviously Abram. He's the one who's going to break this covenant. And yet he doesn't walk through it. God does. It's amazing. Now, what's, what's, what's God doing in all of this? Like, what's God saying as he does this? Well, I think in one sense it's clear. God is saying, if I don't fulfill my promises, may this happen to me. God, who is infinite, says, if I break my promise to you, may I become finite. God, who is perfect, says, if I don't fulfill my promise, may I, the perfect God, become imperfect. God is saying, if I don't come through on my promise, may this happen to me. Do you see why God attaches certainty to what he just did? Why Abram can go to the bank? Abram is basically wondering, am I going to be able to keep the contract? And God says, I'm going to keep it for you. You probably won't, but as it relates to this covenant, it hinges on me. 
I mean, we, we often can't even promise to be on time at things. Some of us better than others. But just think of all the ways in which we can't keep our word. We can't keep our promise. And God here says, you're, you're morally responsible, Abram. But as it relates to this offspring and this land, it's going to happen with certainty. And God attaches his own character and his own existence, as it were, attached to the fulfillment of these promises. Abram's going to do a lot of stupid things. You just go to one chapter over and you're going to find one of the stupidest things. He's going to do a lot of stupid things and God says, even in light of it, I'm still going to fulfill my promise. God, as it were, gives Abram a promissory note. says, here's my promise. And Abram says, oh, it's going to come true, not because I'm holding it, but because God himself is holding it for Abram to cash one day. Now, you might be wondering right now, can I really trust God with this or that? I mean, that's what Abram is thinking it. Guarantee it. And I think all of us live our lives wondering, can I trust God in this season? Can I trust God with this decision? Can I trust God with bringing beauty out of these particular ashes? Can I trust God with this relationship? Can I trust God with you fill in the blank? We all, daily, weekly, every hour, there's a new opportunity where we're faced with that very question. Can I trust you, God, with certainty? Are you going to come through? And in many ways, I think our world, our culture, and sometimes those voices in our head are all telling us, nah, you don't trust God. He's not going to come through for you. Let me just tell you what all of this is driving towards. See, God tells Abram that he is going to give him a home. That's the that's second promise. I'm going to give you a home. But he says, it's going to be a while until you get there. God tells Abram that he's going to get a family, but he says, you're going to have to travel a road of suffering before you get that family. God tells Abram that he's going to be a shield. He's going to protect him, but he says, you're going to have to trouble, travel a road of sorrow, even as I protect you. God tells Abram that he's going to receive an unbelievable inheritance. He just can't spend it yet. Isn't that what a Christian's life is? We too have a home, and God says, I'm building a home for you, but it's not here, not yet. We too have an uncountable family, as uncountable as the stars, but we haven't met them all, have we? We have the promise of protection from God, and yet, not without sorrow. We've been promised an even greater inheritance, but it's stored up in heaven. We're promised peace, but we're awaiting to cash that check one day. We too have to travel in a foreign land, in wilderness, in pain, in sorrow and suffering, subject to cruelty, tainted by sin. And God says, but fear not. For one day, God says, I'm going to deliver on every one of my promises with certainty. I mean, there really is no difference between Abram and the promise that he got and our life right now. God says, I'm going to give you an unbelievable inheritance, 
but it's going to be a moment, and you're going to have to walk in the wilderness. And God says the same to us, the church. You have an unbelievable inheritance, but you're going to have to walk in the wilderness of sorrow and suffering filled with darkness and sin. But I will deliver on those promises. There's certainty in Abram's story. There's certainty that God gives Abram. And really he says, I'm going to fulfill these promises because I'm so certain of doing it that I myself am going to take the covenant and I'm going to walk through this covenant by myself representing also you, Abram. There's a a certainty here. But if you're still like, okay, but that's a certainty for Abram. Well, there is one even greater certainty. If you're struggling, being like, well, how do I know that God's going to do it? Well, the only way that we could have more certainty than Abram had is if God actually did it, is if God actually took on the covenant curses for us. That's what he did in the person of Jesus Christ. He walked through death as the covenant curses fell on Jesus Christ because of our sin, He never broke the covenant. Jesus perfectly obeyed the covenant. And yet we, as covenant breakers, Jesus says, I'm going to take on the covenant curses myself, walk through death in order to secure with certainty all of the promises of God for all those who trust in Jesus Christ. You want certainty? I don't know what else to put before you. All you have to look is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest certainty that God himself will deliver on his promises. So when you wake up tomorrow or you go home from church and you're wondering, God, are you going to be with me? God, can I trust you with certainty that you're going to bring even goodness or my goodness out of this sorrow? God, can I trust you with certainty that that I'm going to make the right decision or that if I make the wrong decision, maybe that you're going to bring good out of it? God, can I trust you with certainty that even if this happens or that happens, that you're going to bring good out of it? Whatever you're lacking, the certainty comes as you stare, as you meditate, as you think at the face, at the work, at the person of Jesus Christ. Certainty hinges or rests on God himself. You want to know the great depth or length to which God would secure with certainty your homecoming? He went to hell and back for you. That's the certainty we get in the gospel, and it's the certainty God kind of foreshadows in the life of Abram in Genesis 15. You want certainty in an uncertain world? It comes as you put your faith and trust in God. It comes as you put your trust and faith in God who would send Jesus to secure with precision all the promises of God because they hinge on God dying and raising again. So whatever you're lacking in trust, whatever you're going through, let me just encourage you. You can turn to Jesus and put your trust in him And if you want to look to where, or if your faith is growing faint, or if you're not believing, just think of Jesus and let your faith soar. Let's pray. 
Lord, we uh, acknowledge that our faith can grow faint. And so we pray, Lord, right now that you would encourage our faith, that you would strengthen our faith, and that you would use even just the, 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 the gathering of the church, the commitment of the church to one another to grow our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are grateful and we look forward to your return. And so we pray that you would persevere us, give us endurance to, like Abram, walk in the wilderness of this world as we trust in the promises of God because we know that the character of God is secure. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Well, it's